checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest episode of Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Check out College Gridiron Coast to Coast, the RSS feed, and the links to the other shows and all the different places where you can listen. Uh, Spotify, Google, Red Circle, uh, Apple, at College Gridiron, Coast to Coast. But uh, get off my pylon covering Western college football as part of it. So I'm Matt Zenick along with co-host Alex Blau. And the, the first topic we have to tackle, Alex, coaching search, coaching search. Already. Sound Didn't take alarm. long. Sound Didn't take long. Get it, Matt. Yep. So we're, we're sounding the alarm in the desert and it's uh, it's so much like play health in USC in the sense that like, why wasn't this done in the off season? Good Lord. You know, the fans were, had, had had enough of the yeah. coach. They knew that the program wasn't going to go anywhere under the current coach, but the president and the AD, they just sat on their hands and now they have to fire somebody after three weeks. And it's a total mess in Tempe. So Alex, uh, you know, coaching candidates that's naturally where this conversation is going to start what what's your overview in terms of the asu coaching search and where the sun devils go from here you know when i i did some research first off let me tell you i'm not surprised when i saw the news that Aaron was gone um just was excited a few years ago when he was hired uh you know especially growing up and seeing him all over the media landscape uh was excited to see him turn around this pac-12 team but he couldn't get it done uh and i was really surprised to not see this move done in the off season like you mentioned but now uh i guess the good news for asu is they get the head start before anyone and they get to look really anywhere they want kind of because they have a long time to do so um looking at who i like you know not to go back to the media world uh and this I don't want to give it away too early. Uh, there's a there's a coach out there who had a lot of success as a head coach. Uh, he's a little quirky, he's a little quirkier than others. Uh, I think he'd be a, a good fit in a Pac-12, especially a Pac-12 that's going to be wide open for the taking following USC's departure with UCLA to the Big Ten. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on Dan Mullen coming back to head coaching? Yeah, it's not the worst idea because you know he failed at Florida. And so if he takes a job, which is a few steps down the ladder, like that's, that strikes me as being realistic. Now, you know, in terms of unrealistic names, like Urban Meyer, no way, absolutely no way. Yeah, no, uh, I see, I see no way with Urban. And let me say for any Nebraska fans that may be listening here too, you don't want Urban. USC was desperate enough as a fan base when Helton was there to want Urban. You don't want him. You've seen what happened in Jacksonville. You don't want him. When you're talking about names that I think are a little unreasonable, not to cut you off. Sorry about that, Matt, with Urban. I've been seeing Byron Leff, which is named the OC for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think he's going to take a step down to college head coaching when he's been floated around NFL head coaching names for a while. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think Eric Bieniemy is in the same position, you know, with the Chiefs, that his next job is going to be an NFL head coaching job. Uh, there's the, no real point in going uh, down to the college ranks. And I, I do see what, you know, ASU may be saying, hey, we see what USC just did in the Pac-12 a little, a little further north. You know, if they get a big name coach and USC was tied to these same names. 
you know, uh, Eric Bieniemy. I remember there was talks of him potentially the only college job he would ever be interested in was being USC. You remember when Mike Tomlin was associated to the USC job and he had that great uh, memorable catch line at the, uh, at the podium. Uh, problem is ASU doesn't have the same esteem that a USC program does. So you're right. When you're looking at head coaches, if they want to go big, they, they have to be a little reasonable and say, Hey, right now we may not be able to attract the biggest name that we may want. I, I do think a uh, Dan Mullen is good. I think maybe, how do you feel about Todd Munkin, the OC at UGA who is, you know, should be a college head coach again. I know he has professional experience. He has college experience. Well, you know, Todd, Todd Munkin, uh, his, his previous go round didn't, didn't really fare all that well. Uh, he seems to be the kind of coach who, you know, fits as an offensive coordinator, but not a, not a head coach. Um, so he seems to be in that particular basket, but you know, the other, the other thing about this uh, ASU coaching search, like let's cross Matt rule off the list. Like, you know, Auburn would make sense for him. Like, you know, Auburn or Nebraska for Matt rule, you know, the, the bigger jobs, the more prestigious jobs. Now, you know, ASU, it, it has often been referred to as a sleeping giant. And, and I, I, I agree with that. Like if the right coach comes, you can maximize the recruiting in Arizona because you're close to the California recruiting hotbed. You're not that far away from Texas in terms of being able to recruit there. If you find the right coach at Arizona State, yes, you can maximize this job. But in terms of you know the prestige and the, the heft uh, attached to the job, Matt Rule's not going to go down to Arizona State when you have Auburn and Nebraska uh, available to him. So just, you know, a lot of high end names kind of in that bracket. They're not, you know, you brought up candidates for, for Arizona. you brought up one really, yeah. really good point. That brings me to the last candidate that I like, and I may like the most. You brought up that great point that ASU is kind of unique in the Pac-12 to its proximity to Texas as well in recruiting. What about Jeff Grimes, the OC for Baylor. He's become quite the little play caller himself down there. You know, he, he knows how to develop an offensive line. Looks like he has a sturdy just call on offensive strategy as a whole. He could help with that recruiting as it comes to Texas, maybe break him back in to the south there. I think he could, although, you know, Baylor's offense looks pretty bad uh, so far this season. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Grimes can build his stock up. Like if he, he needs to do a good job in terms of building back the Baylor passing game you know, which was absolutely uh, non-existent against BYU. So I think Grimes has some work to do, but I will say this about Grimes. Uh, I, I do think he's talented. And of course he had a stint at BYU before Baylor. So he knows about recruiting the West. That's not going to be too difficult for him. Um, I think the larger point about Grimes, and this opens it up to a larger conversation, Alex, is that, um, you know, AS, what AS, in terms of what ASU should do generally, not in terms of the specific name, but in terms of the focus, like with the NCAA penalties, you know, they haven't been announced yet, but they're going to come. The ASU job needs to go yep. to a younger coach and a coordinator, you know, looking for his big breakthrough uh, as opposed to a retread. I mean, Dan Mullen is interesting and I think he'd be willing to consider the job because, you know, he, he's failed at Florida. And so taking the step down, that makes sense for him if he wants back in the game. Um, but I think on balance, getting a younger, hungrier coordinator who wants his first big job in the industry 
uh, as a head coach, I think that is the way ASU should go as opposed to a retread, as opposed to uh, a guy who's been a head coach somewhere else and, you know, is just kind of, oh, well, I guess I just have to settle for what's available. No, you want someone who wants to make a mark at Arizona mm. State. That really should be more broadly, not, not in terms of specific names, but more broadly, that should be the higher uh, for Arizona State. Let me, let me ask you, Alex Grinch and, you know, so USC's defensive coordinator and Oregon offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham. Those are the two Pac-12 names that I've seen yep. uh, appear on a number of lists. Uh, personally, Alex, I don't think either of those guys are budging. I think they both have so much invested in their current stops. Like, they, like Alex Grinch needs to help Lincoln Riley succeed at USC. Kenny Dillingham needs to help Dan Lanning succeed at Oregon. And then we can talk about head coaching jobs uh, in the, at the power five. So I, I think that no matter, you know, unless they both knock it out of the park uh, or perhaps they fail and, and ASU somehow thinks they're desirable, like unless they do something really eye popping uh, this year, whether it's success or failure, uh, and of course, ASU has to make an offer to them too, which we're a long way away from. But I think unless something amazing happens or unless something really noticeable happens for either of them this year, uh, they're going to stay put. Like if they both have, you know, like nine and three, 10 and two type seasons, which, you know, are decent, but, you know, that's not really the standard that USC and Oregon are looking for. They're, no, they're, those at, this are point, at this program point, I don't that, think they'd take 10 and two. Yeah, but I mean, so I, so I don't think that if they do something moderately good, that they're not gonna, they're not gonna have an incentive to want to leave. They're gonna want to stay another year and see if they can really hit it big uh, at each mm -hmm. of these programs. What's what's your assessment of Grinch? You know, Dylan? I've seen, I've seen both those names. Another one that I've seen in there is Dante Williams from USC. The he was the interim. Oh, really, he's he's still with the team. I don't think any three of them are the right guys. Uh, you nailed it right on the head. I think they're invested. They've got to, and frankly, I think they have too much to prove, especially when you talk about Alex Grinch. You're talking about somebody who has publicly, and, and teams know it, been the weakness of Lincoln Riley-led teams for the past few years. They'll get to the playoffs, but it's a matter of their defenses just can't hold up. Uh, so I think Alex Grinch, you know, this USC, it's a new start for him. He just got here. Prove that you can be not the weakness, but a strong point. It's, it's been a strong showing for the SC defense in a sense that they're very turnover hungry this year. Um, but there's still the same glaring weaknesses uh, that we've seen in Alex French defenses of seasons past. Let's, uh, let's just uh, play around with hypotheticals here. Let's say, and we're not predicting this, but let's just say that Matt Rule, you know, who certainly seems though he's going to be fired by the Carolina Panthers at some point. Oh, this wait, Matt Zemick, are you telling me you don't trust in the Matt Rule seven-year Jay-Z plan? N not not at the NFL level. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's he's a wonder worker in college, but and at the NFL is just not his game. Uh, that seems to be pretty apparent. If we play along with the hypothetical that Matt Rule is going to go to Auburn and Nebraska then hires Kansas coach Lance Leopold, um, in terms of how that shapes the map for Arizona State, do you, like, do you think that, you know, if, if uh, Auburn and Nebraska, I mean, we know Brian Harson's toast, like that job's going to come open. Nebraska already is open. Yeah. Uh, if, yep. if, if, rule, if it's rule to Auburn and Leopold to Nebraska, 
how do you think that shapes the game for Arizona State and what's attainable for the Sun Devils? Frankly, I don't really see either of those two coaching candidates ending up in Tempe. So um, I, I don't think it really it really impacts their coaching search at all, to be honest. Uh, I Again, I, I think they need to manage expectations. I think you nailed it on the head. You're not going to be able to nail – you're not going to be able to land that big name. So get that hungry young offensive coordinator who wants to make a name for himself. Because ideally, the ideal scenario – is that you bring this young guy in, he has such massive success that in a decade you have to let him go because he's going to go pro or he's going to go to the, the bigger offer. You want to see that success. Um, so I, I think you nailed it in the head. I don't think really these two candidates, if they were to go to Auburn and Nebraska, I don't think it impacts ASU search at all. Yeah, just, just for a brief moment, I know that this is a Pac-12-focused podcast, but you know, it'll be interesting to see if there's any aspect of the Nebraska job, the Nebraska coaching search, which has a domino effect on Arizona State. Because uh, if, uh, let's say, Nebraska goes instead for Mark Stoops at Kentucky, yeah. uh, you know, yep. Nebraska could go in that direction. Uh, there, and there are other directions that Nebraska could go instead of Lance Leopold. I think that Leopold is kind of has the inside track if he wants the job, but um, you know, there are other uh, significant, compelling candidates for Nebraska. Matt Campbell from Iowa State uh, emerges as a top target for Nebraska. So, you know, if maybe if Nebraska goes there and Leopold is still on the open market, then maybe Arizona State makes a run at Leopold. You know, having coached it at Buffalo and having coached at Kansas, maybe Arizona State represents that next step up level job that Leopold would be interested in. It'll be interesting to see. To bring it, um, to bring it back to the Pac-12 for two seconds, Scott Frost being fired. Shout out Clay Helton. It looks like the Clay Helton-USC split was beneficial for both. You know what I mean? Clay Helton's got a top five, well, I don't know about after week three, but had a top five offense after two weeks. Of course, it is Southern Georgia, but he got Scott Frost fired. So shout out Clay Helton. Glad he's doing well. And he's coaching the Sun Belt, which is, you know, the story in terms of the uh, group of five conferences uh, in college football. He has a nice little win under his belts. I mean, the Sun Belt seems like a place where Clay Helton uh, can succeed. And, you know, he's acknowledged as a nice guy in the business. So, you know, absolutely that, love good it for him. We just didn't, you know, Hel- he just wasn't cutting the grade at making the grade at USC. But, you know, he's, just, a, he's a decent guy. Love Clay Helton, just not as the Trojan head coach. Absolutely. They're not, not every job is meant for everybody, only, only for some people. All right, Alex, uh, on the other side of this uh, ad break, we're going to talk about the rise of the Washington Huskies in the Pac-12. Ooh, so, let's do folks, folks uh, you know, we're going into conference play. We're winding down the non-conference portion of the season. And so what that means is fewer cupcake games, you know, fewer games against FCS teams, down market opponents. Now we're going to get into conference play. So what that means is the games are getting bigger. That means the price of a ticket or at least the value of a ticket. Like I want to get that ticket for that game, uh, such as Oregon, Washington State, USC, Oregon State. Like those are hot tickets. And if you want a hot ticket, we consider you to look at Ticket Smarter. It's partnered with more than 100 universities. They've partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. So you get the best selection, Ticket Smarter. Make sure that fans all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football 
live. And here's the thing, you can purchase tickets quickly, securely, that really matters. And at the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app, or you can also go to ticketsmarter.com. And for all our listeners here at the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network, take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with the promo code GRIDIRON22. So $100 or more, if you're buying tickets for that quality conference game in your part of the country, 5% off with the promo code GRIDIRON22. So use that code. Can I get that one more time, Matt? GRIDIRON22? GRIDIRON22. So check out the selections and pricing with Ticket Smarter. And remember our code, GRIDIRON22. Think smarter at Ticket Smarter. All right, Alex. So the rise of the Washington Huskies, that's really the big story in the Pac-12 coming out of week three. Kalen DeBoer, Michael Penix, they put it to Michigan State. That was a 39-14 game. Ignore the late scores by Michigan State to, to create a more cosmetically close game. That was a beatdown. Yeah. So, Alex, your reaction to Washington making a really big statement for itself and the Pac-12 in September? I mean, now, it's been a few days since this win. And, Matt, I want you to tell me if this is still me overreacting. But it must feel amazing for the UW fan base. You know, all offseason, you're going into a year where people are saying, hey, it's, it's probably going to be a little bit of a rebuild just for a little bit. You know, you can't expect too much this year. And three weeks into the season, you're saying, man, we got a team. We, we got a freshman wideout catching six balls for 150 yards, and, and half of them are touchdowns. Uh, we, we got a defense that is shutting out and at the time, number 11 ranked Michigan State team. Is it an overreaction to, to say that UW may be back already? I mean, may, UW may be back. Like that, that's not an overreaction. I think it's an overreaction to say UW is back, but I think maybe like that, that's properly calibrated, Alex. I mean, I mean, compared to going into the off season, I don't think there were many people who saw this as a a winnable game, even in the slightest. Didn't even give it a second thought, really. Uh, I don't think it was likely, but I think there were questions about, you know, what is Michigan State going to look like without Kenneth Walker? you know, the, the stud running back who should have been a Heisman finalist last year and wasn't, I think, you know, Michigan state was certainly the clear favorite throughout the whole off season in terms of the discussion leading up to that game. But one, but in terms of like what changed in the first two weeks of the season before week three, you know, and and let's remember Washington went off as a 3.5 point favorite in this game at at kickoff time, Michigan state opened as a three point favorite, but the the line moved six and a half points to Washington. And it's because people saw that Washington clobbered uh, Kent state in week one. And then Kent state really shut down Oklahoma for two and a half quarters Mm. in week two, like Oklahoma barely scored against Kent state in the first half of week two. So Washington scored 45 on Kent state in week one. People were connecting the dots there. Oh, Kent, Kent State's not terrible. And Washington hammered Kent State, whereas so Oklahoma Washington struggled with Kent State. So that's why Washington was really moving up in, in a lot of people's estimation over the first two weeks of the season. But absolutely, before the season, no one was talking about Washington Pac-12, right? It was USD, Utah, Oregon is the top three in some order. And then Oregon State, Washington State, and UCLA – were considered the dangerous teams, the floaters, the spoilers, 
the sleepers. Washington was not in that conversation. Washington was not part of anyone's top six rankings or at least top five uh, in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the conversation surrounding Washington has definitely changed. My my big insight about Washington, Alex, is that you know Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix, coach and quarterback, they worked together at Indiana in 2020, and that's when Indiana had the really good season. Played in a New Year's yeah. Day Bowl. I know it was the pandemic season, and you know it's it's easy to look at that season for for Indiana as a fluke, a one-off, you know, because of COVID and all, how all the disruptions it created. But Kalen DeBoer was offensive coordinator under Tom Allen on that 2020 Indiana team. DeBoer then goes to Fresno State in 2021, and now he and then he goes to Washington for 2022, and he reconnects with Michael Penix, who had been injured a lot. The past few years now, you know, Penix last year at Indiana, even bo- even before he got hurt, didn't have a great start. He threw two pick sixes in the 2021 season opener against Iowa. So I came in thinking, you know, Washington really set the bar pretty low at quarterback. Could have gotten Jaden Daniels uh, you know, from, from Arizona State. Well, I was wrong. All right. You got to admit when you're wrong. I was wrong about Michael Penix's yeah. ceiling his level of capability, it's very clear. I'm not sure about Michael Penix in general, but Michael Penix with Kalen DeBoer, like that is a formula that works. They proved it, it in 2020. They smoked this. That's right. They, they proved it in 2020. They confirmed it or reaffirmed it, whatever, whatever word you want to choose. And I think it also helped that DeBoer and Penix, you know, from working together in the Big Ten, like they knew Michigan State's tendencies. So that was something yeah. that also – I think got overlooked a little bit, maybe not by the betting public with all the that that money coming in for Washington, but just in terms of you know how Washington was going to fare against Michigan State, the fact that DeBoer and Penix both uh, were in the Big Ten before, I think that really helped them. Yeah, I mean you can't deny the 400 yards, the four touchdowns. Maybe it was it, what one or two yards short of 400 yards, but around 400 yards, four touchdowns. He looked great. I mean, the, the, he it's, looked he looked as dominant. well as good as he ever has. Yeah, I was gonna say I I, just, I think it was one of his best games, uh, and they needed it. You know what I mean? But that's what they get now. They're going into Stanford as double digit favorites, which is exactly what this UW team needed, and really what this conference needed, to be honest. I mean, you know, it, it's it's definitely true that you know when USC is good, then then the, the you know the Pac-12 really cooks. It's the same for Washington. When Washington's good, the Pac-12 is simply better. And, of course, Washington is the last team from the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff. So, yeah, it's definitely good news for the Pac-12. And, of course, you know, just as we think about what this might mean for the 2022 season, Alex, first off, it means that the Washington-Oregon rivalry is back, you know, after yep. uh, after a few years of being adrift. So, that, so that's obviously a plus because that's a bitter, nasty rivalry. And then the other really big storyline here, Alex, is that Washington does not play USC or Utah on the regular season schedule. So suddenly there's the real possibility that Washington could get to the Pac-12 title game because it has a a comparatively easier schedule than USC and Utah did. So like if you were to if you were to say, you know, know, in terms of who's going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. How high have uh, Washington's odds risen? How how high is uh, have, has the Huskies' stock price uh, changed in your estimation? 
I mean, man, they look good. They look real. They look real good. You know, it's. I it's definitely risen, of course, uh, comparatively speaking to where I had them. Um, I still just I, you know, I've seen teams so far. I look at I look at USC. I even look at how Utah has responded since that UF lost. And I say, you know, I feel fairly strong about these guys having a strong push the rest of the season. UW, I'm just I, I it's three games. You know, I I haven't seen enough to be sold yet. I definitely like the way they're heading, but I still see things like game clock management that, yeah, they smoked this Michigan state team, but it could have been put away better. This whole, this whole end of game, just scoring onslaught by Michigan state could have been avoided. And that's what separates ultimately the, the, the teams that this is just a trend to the teams that this is consistency. It's going to be fascinating to see how Washington fits into the Pac-12 puzzle as the season goes along, but certainly a new legitimate contender for the Pac-12 championship. All right, on the other side of this break, Alex, we're going to talk about Wyoming and Air Force. Wyoming pulling the huge upset as a 17-point underdog over the Falcons. But first, uh, let's get a word in from BetUS.com. You know, So the college football season's underway. You want a sportsbook with integrity and longevity that you can rely on? BetUS is the choice. It's been a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years. You get paid quickly. You get paid securely. That's important. So BETUS.com. You want to go there, BetUS.com. Take advantage of an offer for College Gridiron Coast to Coast listeners. You'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the code COAST22. COAST22. So put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. $200, you get $250, and so on. It's the 125% sign-up bonus, Coast 22. BetUS also has the NFL, and we're, gonna, we're coming up on the Major League Baseball playoffs. NBA is not far away. NHL is not far away. College basketball is almost around the corner in early November. It's going to be here before you know it. BetUS, B-E-T-U-S dot com. And remember the promo code for the sign-up bonus, Coast22. All right, Alex. So uh, as we take our brief tour through the Mountain West, because, you know, hey, San Diego State got demolished by Utah. Uh, the Mountain West continues to fail in terms of on a larger national scale. But, you know, we had a conference game and it was a surprise. Air, Air Force was a huge favorite against Wyoming. And the Falcons got tripped up in Laramie. And so, you know, what, is the, what does that tell us about these teams? Like, do you think that Air Force is going to straighten things out and still have a big season under Troy Calhoun? Uh, or, or do you think that, like, whoa, this Air Force team was overestimated? And then on the other side, Wyoming didn't look fantastic in the first two weeks. You know, Tulsa's not that great a team. Wyoming played Tulsa in, into overtime. That game was on even terms. Wyoming got absolutely hammered by Illinois in week one. So is, mm. is you know, like, does this result, Wyoming upsetting Air Force on Friday night, do you think it points to like a continuation of what's going to happen with these teams? Or, or, or do you think that like these teams are going to be able to go in different directions uh, a- after this game? It was, it was definitely one of the best halves little change of, of Wyoming football I'd seen in a long time, especially defensively. 
But before we can even get into that, Matt, have you heard about what happened to linebacker Easton Gibbs of, I, of I, Wyoming? I did not. Oh, man, I got to lead off with this. This was an MJ-esque performance from him. An hour before the game, right, this, this linebacker for the team has an 104-degree fever. Cleared 10 minutes before the game, finishes with six tackles, was integral to that staunch defense. That's MJ flu game-esque, if you ask me. That was shout-out to Gibbs. You know, you can be sick of me an athlete, but that man is dedication to the sport and to the team. That was a heck of a performance from him. Um, Wyoming-wise, yeah, man, they look good, but the question is, can they keep it up? And I... I really – I don't know if they can. I'm, I'm worried that it was a fluke for Wyoming, but more worried that it wasn't for Air Force, if that makes sense. I oh, think absolutely. these may be two teams – I think these may be two teams that are stagnant, if not on the decline. Um, and, and for Air Force, this was just the, the next red flag that, hey, we got to do something. Because this is, this, is this is a game that, <laughs> heck, we should have won. We're the most dominant – one of the premier rushing attacks historically and currently in the nation. And we're getting 175 yards on Wyoming. This is, this is, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the other podcasts that's part of the college gridiron coast to coast network is yards and stripes. That's the service Academy podcast hosted by Bryce Atkinson and his, and his friends. Uh, you want to listen them. to yards and stripes. So they, they cover the academies in depth and, and they will know, and they will tell you, that you know, when you're running a triple option or a variation thereof, boy, you need that. You need the quarterback to be great. You need the right trigger man to make everything come together for that offense. And the it might be a harsh verdict, but it's really hard to avoid that. Hazik Daniels, quarterback for Air Force, that offense just has not taken off with him under center. Not last year. Not this year. Wyoming was able to limit Air Force to 24 points last year in Colorado Springs, was able to clamp down on the Falcons this year in Laramie, like not being able to adjust and not being able to thrive against Wyoming, which, you know, a team, again, Illinois smashed Wyoming in week one. You know, if you're Air Force, you need to dominate that game. You need to ring up a big number. Hazik Daniels just is not uh, making the grade for Air Force. So Matt, that's you nailed our, it. And that's, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say you nailed it. And look, professional football is one thing where if you're a franchise and you got a quarterback, you can afford to give him a year, maybe even two to develop. College has turned into a completely different game. These kids are coming in with a thousand throws under their belt, working with QB experts. You need a kid that can come in and play right now. And, and Air Force certainly, I think, needs an upgrade at the quarterback position. We'll see how the Falcons do in the near future. All right, Alex. So uh, as we pivot toward the final segment of our show, USC, you know, the, 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 the scoreboard said 45-17 over Fresno State, but it really wasn't that easy. Like Stanford was, uh, you know, a breeze. That game was easy. Five possessions, five touchdowns right out of the gate. Built a 41-14 lead, coasted home. This game, not it wasn't quite the same. You did have the early scoring, three touchdowns in the first three drives, but USC had to convert three fourth downs, uh, and yeah. USC had to convert some third and tens. Just wasn't kind of the same uh, easy stroll that we saw against Stanford. Um, we saw uh, Bobby Haskins, the left tackle, get injured. 
Uh, and of course, Portland Ford, the number one left tackle, he didn't play. So USC had to go deep into its depth chart on the offensive line. And that's the thing we've talked about with the Trojans. Starting offensive line is great. You get this healthy starters up front. The offense is absolutely going to rock and roll. But as soon as you go, have to go down the depth chart, you know, Mason Murphy being thrown into the fire, that did not work out well for the Trojans. So how, how concerned are you with the left tackle position? Because Portland Ford's probably going to play against Oregon State, but he's also probably not going to be 100%. And Haskins is not 100%. How big of a concern do you think is this for USC right now? You know, ultimately, I I don't think it's a concern because as we saw the Fresno State game go on, we actually saw, I feel like, the USC running game find more of a rhythm. I mean, you had Austin Jones and Travis Dye both finish with over 100 yards, you know, both averaging over nine yards a carry. Um, What I was a little worried, not – I wouldn't even call it worried. I would call it a – a glancing eyebrow raise was it did feel as if the USC passing game was not uh, quite in rhythm as we'd seen the first two weeks. Um, Sure. You know, Mario Williams, Jordan Addison, those guys still definitely got involved. We saw Addison reach the end zone yet again. That guy's just has an unstoppable spin move. But I I did start to notice that maybe Caleb was getting a little uncomfortable back there. Uh, the passes weren't getting off as smoothly. Um, you know, the first two games we'd see him single-digit incompletions, if not less than five. And here I, we saw a few double-digit incompletions. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried. The USC uh, defense still ultimately ended up doing its job when it needed to. Uh, the USC offense relied on the running game, which has been a completely new aspect, especially compared to that Graham Harrell air raid offense that this Helton regime had, had just pushed for years. Um, so to answer your question, I'm, I'm, I'm not too worried. Uh, I feel like this upcoming game at Oregon State is going to be an opportunity for USC to, to show people that they're still as dominant as they were those first two games against Rice and against Stanford. Well, so tactically, you know, Fresno State was able to get a pass rush, especially, you know, exploiting that left tackle situation and, you know, if Fresno State was not blitzing. It was just able to generate pressure, you know, from the de- from the edge with the defensive end. And it was then able to, you know, keep a lot of guys back in coverage. And that's the, that's the alignment. That's the defensive formation and scheme, which have bothered Lincoln Riley. Going back to the Big 12, you know, Iowa State, uh, at times TCU, but especially Iowa State, also Oklahoma State, would bother – Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma offenses by keeping a lot of guys back in coverage. This is also what the Cincinnati Bengals did to Patrick Mahomes in the AFC championship game, especially in the second half, just everybody back. We're not giving you the deep ball. You're not going to throw over the top of us. You're going to have to be very patient, throw the short passes. And we think we can rush you with our base front four. So what do you think the adjustment is for Lincoln Riley? You know, if Lincoln, we, Lincoln's answer is state, throws that defense at the Trojans this week. It's just going to have to be the same thing that Pete did. You know, uh, we got this this elite uh, national run game. Let's use it. Time to time to see. I mean, look, we saw Travis die, uh, and we saw Austin Jones get over 100 yards on, on 11 and 10 carries each. 
if the passing game isn't there, we'll run it down your throat. You'll see it coming. You can't simply stop this Trojan offense, I feel like. They're going to find a way to win. All right. We have to look at the defense uh, in terms of previewing this Oregon State game. Uh, you know, it, it really seems to be a similar theme. Now, we didn't have four takeaways um, as we had in the first two games of the season, but we did still have a lot of red zone stops. And the Trojans showing a backbone when, when the ball was inside their own 10-yard line. Um, so, like, the good news, guys are stepping up and making timely plays. But the bad news is, you know, if the opponent is in the red zone all the time, that means it's constantly knocking on the door on the verge of scoring. And so, you know, this is playing with fate. This is tempting fate that if you're allowing all these yards and all these long drives, there's going to be a game where your red zone defense doesn't have the answer. So, you know, how does USC make the improvements it needs with its run fits on defense, especially up front, so that that weakness is not as much of a problem against the Beavers, you know, a team which loves to mash the ball under Jonathan Smith. You know that Smith will want to, to see how much he can establish in the running game. What, you know, what's the, what's the formula for USC? Not necessarily to stop Oregon State. I think it's, uh, that's, it's asking too much to stop Oregon State, but how does USC contain Oregon State and limit damage on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean we got to see we got to see a big thing about the Alex Grinch defense that I've noticed. It seems like players also don't know how to finish tackles all the time. It's a simple matter of not simple, but we got to see tackles that are fundamentally wrapping up and and bringing the person down instead of just lowering a shoulder into them. Because I've seen it, I've saw it so many times against Fresno. It bothered me so much that these Trojan defenders were not using their arms to tackle people instead just lowering a shoulder and letting them gain an extra four to six yards uh, with offensive momentum and just moving forward. Uh, from the USC defensive line, Tui Tui Pelotu. I saw two sacks out of him, and it seems to me like almost every game he's getting stronger. I would love to see him really, really have a, just a monster perform against OSU and continue to make that backfield uncomfortable uh, in the run game and in the passing game, frankly. All right, final topic on our show. You know, we've looked at USC Oregon State. That game's coming up in week four. The other really big Pac-12 game in week four, Oregon at Washington State. So Oregon's coming off a very impressive performance against BYU. And we can discuss how, how big a win that is because BYU was drained after the win over Baylor. You know, BYU really didn't schedule that well. Like this should have been a, a week where BYU played McNeese State. And then you play Oregon a week later. But, you know, that's a separate question. Like, Oregon still had a lot of questions, faced a lot of doubts, and played a great game. Bo Nix, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a critic of Bo Nix. Hey, have to give him props for the brilliant game he played against BYU. So now Oregon has to follow that big emotional win over BYU and go straight to Pullman, uh, where the Cougars are lying in wait. So, uh Alex, your, your views of Oregon versus Washington State uh, up in the Palouse. You know, when we were talking about UW and you were asking me, is this a team that you could see making that making that full schedule run? Um, I see teams like Oregon and how they played uh, against BYU, and I say this is a team that I have a little more faith in to do that. Um, but, you know, Washington State is coming off Colorado State. And it looks like this season, if you're playing a team from Colorado, you have a bye week. Yeah. Uh, so Oregon, Oregon may be surprised. This, this may be a, 
maybe a little bit of, of a white elephant. They may come in expecting a, another SmackDown, riding that energy and that momentum and that confidence from the BYU game. And they may find a completely rested Washington State team that's ready to give them some opposition. Um, yeah, I think the, the, frankly, the schedule nuances. Yeah, the schedule nuances. Oh, no, Oregon against BYU. The, those schedule nuances favor Washington State. Yeah, and I, I um, that being said, though, I would still be surprised um, if Oregon, if if the flight back is quiet. I feel like it's 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 probably going to be a pretty happy flight home. For for Oregon. For Oregon, yeah. I, yeah. I'd, be, I'd be surprised if not. Look, I, everyone had questions. Same thing goes to that Utah team. Everyone had questions after week one. What is this? But frankly, I think that's all it was, week one. I think we're going to see – we've seen both these teams get more confident. We've seen them get more comfortable. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see a difference coming into week four. Yeah, my, my main – thought on Oregon Washington State is that you know okay I've seen Bonex play well within the Oregon offense I haven't yet seen Cam Ward play well against a good opponent and know, that it, surprises me it's that beat, surprises me yeah so we beat Colorado State that doesn't mean anything you know Washington State beat Wisconsin but the offense did, did not play well I mean the defense carried the whole team in that game so we're still waiting for the breakout game from Cam Ward for Cam so Ward. As much as a critic I've been of Bo Nix, I have more trust in him than Cam Ward going into this game. Now, it's, is it possible that Cam Ward will play well? Certainly, but he hasn't shown it yet. So, like, he has not earned the benefit of the doubt, and that's why I would agree with you in picking Oregon over Washington State. Yes, sir. All right, Alex. Great show, and, boy, really looking forward to that game, Ducks-Cougars and also USC, Oregon State. And of course, it's a travesty that USC, Oregon State is on Pac-12 Network. Um, so many other <sighs> not very good games are on ESPN, like Missouri-Auburn is an ESPN game. And you have Duke versus Kansas on Fox Sports 1. But USC, Oregon State is on Pac-12 Network. Um, but we, we, you know, we're going to follow that game. Uh, you know, we, we have might have direct TV and we might be out of luck, but we're going to follow that game. <laughs> We're gonna get. We're gonna take notes on that game, and we're definitely gonna talk a lot about that game and Oregon, Washington State next week on Get Off My Pond. So for Alex Blau, this is Matt Zemek saying, to it. you know, listen to all those College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcasts. Check the feed at Red Circle, and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Fight on.